Well, welcome, friends. Always great to see you and um, to, to share God's Word with you for a few minutes today. If you'd like to, uh, take your Bibles or devices to uh, Luke chapter 1 today, Luke chapter 1, and um, <clears throat> we'll get there in just a moment. And if you can multitask at the same time um, as you're turning to the uh, scriptures, uh, think about uh, maybe your favorite Christmas carol or your top three or four Christmas carols. That is quite a uh, <clears throat> a task for most of us, I realize. Um, and uh, yet, <clears throat> um, uh, Christmas carols like Hark the Herald Angels Sing and O Come All Ye Faithful and Joy to the World, uh, those are some of my favorites. And um, no doubt uh, you have a longer list to add to. But have you ever thought about how central singing is um, to the um, incarnation of Jesus Christ and this season of the year? Um, I was a hospice chaplain for many years and would uh, go and um, sing gospel songs and around this time uh, of the year sing uh, Christmas carols. And I've discovered that Christmas carols, at least in America, they're kind of the universal song. Everyone uh, of an older generation anyway, uh, 60s on up, uh, knew all the Christmas carols, even though uh, musical tastes differed far and wide um, beyond that. But why, do, why is singing so central, not only to the Christian faith, but especially to the incarnation of Jesus? And I think one of the reasons is, is because there was singing surrounding uh, the, the birth and the time of Jesus's entry into this world. Um, if we look at Luke chapter 1 and 2, we could find what we might characterize as five Christmas songs. Um, true, they may not have been actually sung as we know it today, but uh, we think of uh, Elizabeth's uh, rejoicing when Mary came to visit and Mary's Magnificant and um, the angels um, <clears throat> um, in, the, in the air singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And uh, even Simeon's song, I think, characterizes, uh, could be characterized as a song of, of joy and exaltation um, after uh, seeing uh, the Christ child. I want us to focus in on just uh, Zechariah's song today, found in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 67. Um, and uh, we could spend weeks on this Christmas uh, prophecy or song, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm only actually going to hit the first few verses, but I think most of us are aware of the story of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. He was one of those priests that uh, served uh, on a rotating basis throughout the year, not one of the permanent priests there in Jerusalem. But as he was um, serving his duty there as a priest, an angel appeared to him and uh, and prophesied that he and his wife, his older aged wife, Elizabeth, would have a child and told him about that child. Uh, Zechariah did not believe the angel, and so he uh, was silent and could not speak for many, many months, although that uh, may have been somewhat of a, of a hardship on him. It also apparently gave him a lot of time to meditate, because when he does begin to speak, 
after he wrote on a tablet eight days after John's birth, the name of the child will be John. Um, his lips were loosed and he prophesied and praised God. Um, notice it says in verse 67, his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, saying. Um, so here we have a man who's filled with the Spirit and speaks words of prophecy about his newborn son. I was talking with a, a gentleman who likes a lot of tech news uh, just uh, last week. He told me about a new AI program, a new artificial intelligence program uh, called Chat GPT, I guess, um, <clears throat> that can actually answer very complex questions, explain philosophical issues, write an essay or a poem. <clears throat> and uh, he, he got a little interested in it. So he asked Chat GPT <clears throat> to write a sermon on Psalm 23. And believe it or not, this AI generated program actually wrote a fairly good sermon, he said, on Psalm 23. As we were talking about that more and more, though, we, we thought I thought about, wow, just think of that, an AI-generated sermon. Um, God deliver us from that kind of preaching, right? Because it lacks the unction of the Holy Spirit, right? And yet, uh, here was a man uh, who was... <clears throat> filled with the Spirit. And as we pray today, as we pray often near the end of the week, uh, we can definitely pray for the unction of the Spirit of God upon the preachers as they stand in the pulpits this Sunday, this Lord's Day, and in many cases on Christmas Eve as well. So what does Zechariah do? It says he prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. Uh, the remainder of this song of praise is, um, commendatory for many, many attributes, many, many characteristics and actions of God. But we will stop at verse 71. And notice three things. God <clears throat> visits his people. God visits his people. <clears throat> During this holiday season, Christmas and New Year's, many families will travel to visit family members they don't see at other parts of the year. Friends will gather but all of those are mostly for social visits and to get caught up on, um, on life together. But when it says in the scriptures, God visits his people, it's not speaking of a social visit. It is saying God is on the move. He is in the business to do something. He knows what's going on. When God visits, it shows his concern. He's coming to do something about a problem, a problem that we cannot fix ourselves. And friends, is that not what we are praying for, for a visitation from God, a visitation from God in revival? 
You know, in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph told his family, do not bury my bones when I die. Here in Egypt, don't bury them because when you are delivered by God, when God visits his people, I want to go with you back to the promised land. And then in Exodus chapter 4, verse 31, the Israelites heard Moses speak, the elders of Israel did, and they rejoiced that God was about to visit them, that he remembered their his covenant, that he knew their plight, that he saw their great need, that he had heard their cries for help. All of that occurred after 400 lonely years of being in captivity. And now as we come to Luke 1, we are coming after 400 dark, lonely years where the prophets were silent. And yet now God is visiting his people. Zechariah saw it. He opened his mouth wide with praise and thanksgiving. And although we may not yet have experienced the visitation of God that we long for, we can see glimmers on the horizon, and we want to pray and pray through until he comes. Obviously, we're also looking for the ultimate visitation of God in the second coming of Jesus Christ that Second Peter reminds us of, that God is not slack concerning any of his promises, as most men would count slackness. And we are waiting for the coming day of the Lord in his final visitation on the earth. But until that day, we're praying for a visitation, a special season of revival, of renewal, of restoration, of refreshment and reformation. We're praying for a visitation of God and an awakening from him. So let us continue to thank God that he knows our plight. He sees us. He hears us. Unlike the Israelites who waited 400 years, we've been waiting for 2,000 years for the coming of Christ, the second coming. But we also want to thank him that he's not only uh, visited us the first time, but he has remained with us, has he not? With his blessed Holy Spirit who fills us and propels us as we pray. So God visits his people. Number two, notice God redeems his people. And um, uh, that that goes very closely with redemption or with visitation. So I'm not going to to uh, to to speak much to that. But I would say that as we pray today and ongoing until the Lord visits us with revival, help we should pray that we would wait patiently, that we would wait worshipfully. I think that's perhaps a lesson that. Uh, Zechariah learned through that uh, nine months or so of waiting on God. But thirdly, God visits his people, God redeems his people, and let me just note quickly, he rescues his people. He rescues his people. And let us pray for God's rescue today on many fronts, but it says he has raised up a horn of salvation for us, verse 69, in the house of his servant David, spoke by the mouth of his holy prophet that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. 
The horn of salvation here is a picture in ancient days, uh, the horns of an animal. Um, I've only seen the horns of an animal uh, really from a distance behind the fence at a zoo, whether it would be be the horns of a rhinoceros or the horns of a bison. Um, I thought as a child, well, those are beautiful decorations on those uh, animals, but they are not decorations. They are weapons, aren't they? And uh, you do not want to tangle or be at the other end of the horn of a rhino or a horn of a char- charging bison. Horns were offensive weapons. They were also defensive weapons. And when it says God has sent the horn of his salvation, he is stating that the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to do battle, to defeat sin, to defeat death, to defeat Satan. To defeat our arch enemy, it is to show the power of God. It is to show the power of God against Satan and all of his minions and against the corruption of our hearts. And it shows us that Jesus in his coming is stronger than any sin that we wrestle with and any struggle that we have difficulty overcoming. In another song in the Old Testament, Miriam, after the great deliverance of the Red Sea, sang with the daughters of Israel, God's right hand is glorious in power. Oftentimes before revival comes, God sweeps his church with a widespread repentance. Are you seeing the horn of salvation in your life today? Have you seen God move to help you overcome temptation. Are you burdened with a load of care? Remember, God is the horn of salvation. And one of the one of the ways in which Satan seeks to defeat us is to cause us to forget the power of God. So as we pray today, friends, let us pray for one another that we would not forget that Jesus is the horn of our salvation, that God visits his people, that God redeems his people, that God rescues his people. Let us express profound gratitude for this rescue today and plead with God and plead with God and plead with God for the salvation of those closest, dearest to us, those that we know and meet that are still yet in need of that rescue, as we are people who are telling other people about the person of Jesus Christ. Amen.